Before we start this episode, I want to again thank Peer Driven PD. It really is the future of professional development for educators. Brother, it's fantastic. It has an allowance where teachers can engage in professional development on their own time, engaging in a ton of different kind of classes, things like inspiring a passion for music, engaging reluctant writers, classroom management, essentials, do's and don'ts for secondary teachers, and the list goes on and on and on. If you are looking to grow professionally and you are strapped for time because you have a family, you have a a busy job or a busy life, whatever it might be, peer-driven PD is the way to go because it offers high-quality education at your own time from teachers who are in the classroom. In, In a time when teachers are stretched so thin and they're being asked to do so much, it's such a relief to know that this is something that they can do on their own time and a time that works for them and that they can find something that is relevant to the work that they're trying to do. It's really incredible stuff. It's also affordable. So I'm, I'm kind of on the website here looking at the pricing. So a single course, one course, one price, 78 bucks, right? Now, if you throw in a little reference to shirts and ties, you get 10% off that purchase, but he's got three different bundles here. Single course is $78. Pick three, uh, which means that you can take, you have, for an entire year, you have access to all your courses and you can take them whenever you want for $197. That's uh, incredible. Again, 10% off if you mention shirts and ties, or you can do an all access, which is all courses and content for one year, uh, access to new courses, 249 so 250 for an entire year of professional development of whatever you want, whenever you want it. Again, mention shirts and ties, you get 10% off that purchase as well. So th- that's amazing, incredibly affordable. Oh, absolutely. What a deal for all that you get. It's and I'm stuff. telling you, as an educa- as a as a as a principal, if a staff member comes to me, right, we're always expected to do professional development. If after your tenure, you kind of have some autonomy in how they come to me and say, Hey, I want to do this. And and I'm gonna do a little write-up or a little whatever when I'm all said and done. This is a no-brainer. You bet we're doing it. Yeah, get your departments into it. Right. The math team can all get in on it, work together as a math team, talk about the PD that they're doing. How cool would that be? And if you're a school district, there's even larger uh, for bulk orders, there's even larger discounts for for school districts. So to me, it's a no brainer. Get involved with peer driven PD, become a more uh, seasoned and um, refined professional. Mention Church of Ties, get 10% off. It's fantastic. Awesome. Thanks again to Mike Alpert and Peer Driven PD. You can find him at peerdrivenpd.com. Mention Church and Ties and you get 10% off for an entire year worth of purchases. Welcome to Shirts and Ties, a podcast about education and culture. I'm Brian Miller. And I'm Casey Shirts. Hey, my man, brother. How are you this morning? What are we talking about today? I'm good. So considering that we wanted to do some lighter topics, I thought it might be fun for us just to think about fictional teachers that we've seen in TV, movies, maybe books even. I don't know what you'd pick. And just talk about some of our favorite fictional teachers. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. So you're game for it. I am. Uh, And uh, if you don't mind, I actually have potential, uh, just at least for sure one, that is a pet peeve of mine that I think is a terrible teacher. That is heralded as a great teacher. Oh man, it's so, gonna be one of my three faves. I know it is. <laughs> oh man, we're gonna. It might have, be. It might. This be. might be our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it is, if if you have chosen uh, this particular person, then uh, we'll just have a good discussion. 
I think it'll be fun. I think I know, I, I'm going to guess I know who it is, and I think it is going to be a good discussion. And I'm okay with you saying he or she isn't great. I'm up for that challenge. Okay. You want to start or you want to start? That'd be great. Actually, that's a good one. We should have, he's not fictional, but he was a great. I teacher. know, but uh, I've actually heard recently that there's this weird conspiracy that he was a murderer. Have you heard this? Uh, oh, I heard he was like a Marine and had like hundreds of kills or something like that. Well, the one I that I saw, true. and we don't need to get too far off topic here, but uh, it's Bob Ross. And I think anyone wants to listen to good Bob Ross stories uh, because there is um, there's a painting that he did. And I forget the title of it. It's it's fairly kind of a darker title, but it's of a scene that matches the scene of a murder site where they found like five or six bodies. Wouldn't that be great? And it's like uh, it's every painting was actually place. just where a body was hidden. Isn't that terrible? I was like, oh my god, that gosh. is terrible. I don't um, think this and, is what we're supposed to be doing here this morning. Promoting he said he wanted Ross to go light. What's lighter than Bob Ross being? We're now a conspiracy podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, let's get. All right, do you want to start, or do you want me to start? Uh, I'll start. Okay. I mean, it's, All right. it's your show, but I'll start. Sure. Sure. No. I think that's <laughs> so what you did me last week. No, well, I mean, you did last I did week. Actually. <laughs> I did okay. Too. I'll go okay. first. Actually, let me go first because uh, I want to set the stage a little bit. Okay. So what I ended up doing as I thought about this topic was I thought about fictional teachers who I took at least a little something from them. I don't know if I did it intentionally at the time or along the way, but Eventually in my teaching career, there was something about these people that I I took it and I tried to implement it into my classroom and the way that I did business. And so I, I brought three teachers and I think one serves as a guide to his students, one inspires his students, and then one empowers her students. So let me start with the first one. So um, we've discussed our ages on here before, so I won't get into that too much, uh, but I was a kid in the 90s. And there was a a show called Boy Meets World. Hmm. You watch it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so the Mr. Feeney is one of the characters on there. Mm -hmm. And I I really appreciated Mr. Feeney. And I think one of the things that I really liked about him and that I tried to be in my own classroom was he was genuinely respected. Mm -hmm. He wasn't quite feared. But students were afraid to disappoint him. They and were when afraid. he got frustrated, people shut down. Yeah. I mean, he, he was he had absolute command over the classroom, yep. but not in a way that diminished what the kids could be and were capable of. And I think in the end, what he was is a a perfect mentor to students. Sure. And one of the things that I think is going to be true about any of these teachers that I mentioned, what makes them good is they teach kids not subjects. Yeah. Now, Mr. Feeney on the show, because of the nature of TV, ended up following that group of kids from late elementary all the way through college. So, but that's really the idea is that he was, he was mentoring these kids. He was doing more than just teaching them subjects. He was really focused on knowing those kids and knowing them well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I didn't watch it all often like i wasn't a religious watcher but i do obviously i know the show and one of the scenes that i do recall even as a young child remembering was the older brother who always got in trouble or is it a who yeah 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 
Yep. There was an older brother. There also was a, a friend. It wasn't the friend. I think it was the brother. Uh, are, do you have birds chirping? Yes, I do. A lot. Okay. I just, I want the audience to know that this is, you know, live from the outdoors at Brian Miller's place in, in Montana. So uh, if you hear the birds chirping, just enjoy it. Just they are, outside they are with going us. crazy. Uh, and I don't yeah. know why, but they are. Um, <laughs> they, they just want to be part of the show. That's right. Um, but he, uh, it just wasn't seen. I, I don't remember. It's one of those times. Um, that you don't remember kind of what's being said. You're you're not even old enough to really understand the gravity of the situation, but you understand it's an important situation, or you're like understand like this is what adults should be like. Where he he got in trouble, or he's getting in trouble, and uh, Mr. McSweeney, right? That's his name, Mr. Feeney, Feeney, Feeney. Who's McSweeney? Um, I, don't I don't know. Mr. Feeney just kind of has like this. You screwed up. You screwed up. You're going to have to suffer the consequence, but I'm still here. We're still here. And when you come back, I'm, I love you. And I just, I just remember that very scene so vividly as, as a child. And it's what you just said. Like he, he cared about English. He cared about teaching his subject. He thought it was important, obviously, but more than anything, it just was a vessel to get to the students and, and impact their lives and teach them life, life lessons for 15 years. Yeah, to me, he's the epitome of that concept that I like, which is sometimes love looks like discipline. Yep. Because he was very stoic, very focused. Um, and, and really, the one episode that I want to mention before I let you share one of yours, it's from season three. And Corey, who's, you know, the boy that meets the world there, uh, the main character, he he starts a fire. I think it's accidentally, but then he ends up putting the fire out and people see him putting the fire out. And so he's hailed a hero for having, mm. you know, put the fire out and, you know, the news crews are interviewing him, but eventually it starts to get to him because he realizes he's not a hero. He actually had made a mistake and, and that's what happened. And so in a conversation with Mr. Feeney, Mr. Feeney says to me, a real hero is someone who does the right thing when the right thing is not the easy thing to do. And that's mm. just a perfect example of Mr. Feeney. Mm, that's awesome. That's good. Yeah. Um, you ready for mine? Yeah, let's hear it. I want to just acknowledge that the obvious go-to as a uh, English teacher is who? Mr. Keating. Of course. Uh, and yeah. I'm not going to go there, right? So. Oh, good, because uh, I did. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Uh, and, I'm, and I kind of thought that you might, so I'm like, well, I'm not going to choose that one. I actually, when you referenced Mr. Keating, I, I'll, I actually wrote an, an article a while ago that was anti Mr. Keating uh, and thinking that he's responsible actually for Neil's death. Uh, sure. We'll get there. But who I chose, who I grew up watching was Mr. Rogers. Okay. So uh, not a fictional person, but obviously uh, he had a fictional land in, um, in his, Oh man, I just went blank on what it's called. Um, uh, I don't know. I was going to say Neverland. That's not it. That's right. Neverland's <laughs> coming to mind. We'll, we'll figure that out. Um, sure. But I, I did read a book a couple of years ago called The Good Neighbor, The Life and Work of Fred Rogers. Uh, and it's a pretty fantastic book, largely because he's an amazing person. And I just want to highlight a couple of things uh, about Mr. Rogers that I think Fred Rogers that I just think is so powerful. He's a he's a, a an actual Mr. Feeney kind of figure where he just cares so deep. His, his character is so strong that it can't help but influence people. And so there's so many moments like. Um, I'm sure you know the story of um, the police officer, Mr. Clemens, right? Yep. Um, yep. So he's very intentional about 
having an African-American man sit in a pool with him, their feet in the water. He's very intentional about drying his feet, right? So this is during a time where racial tensions are high and he wants to go on public public TV and, and essentially wash an African-American's feet. And people were shocked and people were in awe. And he's like, no, this is the right thing to do. I want to show the kids the right thing to do. To uh, me, I would rank that up there as one of the most important human moments ever. Um, Ever. Yeah, absolutely. Ever. It's unbelievable. So he, he's able to do that. He's also able to go before Congress, who's getting ready to cut funding for public TV. And instead of cutting, they like double <laughs> the yeah. funding because of how he's able to just master and not just manipulate. He doesn't manipulate at all. He's just truthful. And he's yeah. talks about what he what he cares about. Um, there's a story of I don't know if you remember or if you heard this one where he he always talks about feeding his fish. Have you ever heard this story? He's I think so, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. He's always explaining why yep. he's feeding his fish yep, yep. because a, a, a blind child reached out and said, you know, I can't, I love your show, but I don't know what's going on. Can you explain more? So that's why he explains everything that he does so that somebody who's watching, if they can't see, he wants them to understand. He was somewhat the antithesis of what's the, the other kids show with Elmo and all of that. Sesame Street. Sesame Street. He was the antithesis of that. He did not like Sesame Street because he thought it was too fast paced. He was very intentional on being incredibly slow because he wanted kids time to think like he just had all of these. He was so intentional in everything that he did. Um, even I don't know if you know this, too, but his mother knitted all of his sweaters, which I thought is pretty fantastic. That's amazing. I know. OK, so I'm getting off topic, but I, I mean, I could just go on and on. What's up? You have a thought. Well, first of all, you clearly violated the rules because we're we're talking fictional and you're like, yeah. he has a fictional land. So he counts. All right. Whatever. <laughs> which I can't even name. Right. I do want to say this, though, since you cheated, as someone who grew up very poor and had I didn't go to preschool, didn't have a lot of access to things. You know, I did go to the library from time to time as a kid. But having a show like that meant a lot for me. I remember that. I remember reading Rainbow. And I actually remember Sesame Street, too, because you got a lot of uh, letters and things like that. So that that channel. It was channel 34 where I was at did a lot for me as a kid. And so, and Mr. Rogers was a big part of that. I feel like it's almost um, uh, appropriate that I'm cheating to talk about Mr. Rogers. I think he'd appreciate it. I think he'd, uh, he he would like my integrity here. Um, I want to throw throw out a couple quotes from him that, that are, like you said, influential, right? So I read these uh, three or four years ago. And was highly inspired as an educator. And then as I walked into some pretty harsh and hard conditions after that, having to deal with in this profession, Mr. Rogers, honestly, was was kind of like a pillar um, of reminders. And so just a couple quotes I want to throw out there. Uh, He says this, when I was a boy, I used to think that strong meant having big muscles, great physical power. But the longer I live, the more I realize that real strength has much more to do with what is not seen. Real strength has to do with helping others and i just like that's it right like how 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 you define no one's going to look at mr rogers and say like be intimidated by this man right he's not an intimidating figure at all but there are few people as strong as mr rogers the ability to do the right thing over and over and over again always for the benefit of somebody else Um, one of his and then go ahead i was just to say and one of his great lessons was look for the helpers yeah. 
Yeah, what's that famous quote that he has? Like, anytime there's something scary going on, look around and you see the helpers. Right? Yeah. I, I love that. Um, and yeah. then this last quote that is very specific towards education that I love. He says, one of the major goals of education must be to help students discover a greater awareness of their own unique selves, which is where we often stop in education, right? We want, we often, that's the period, help them find their unique selves. He keeps going with, in order to increase the feelings of personal worth, responsibility, and freedom. And again, that just kind of emphasizes his whole point. Like the whole point of education and humanity is to find your unique self, your your unique talents and gifts and strengths so that you can help other people. Yeah. I love that. It's good stuff. I mean, you clearly cheated, but great stuff. All right. You ready for my next one then? Yes. Let's just get to it. Uh I thought there was a very good chance you would choose Mr. Keating. I wanted to anyway, and I felt like I had to because there's something, yeah, and there's something about him that I did try to emulate. Um, Although I do look forward to you, you know, challenging him a bit if you want to. In my mind, he's he's somebody who inspired. He's he's more of a raw rock kind of guy, and I we've talked before where I think that's a, a dangerous thing. Uh, I don't think it's a lasting way to engage with people, but if you have kids for a year and you can cheer them on on for a year and you can inspire them for, for a year, I think that's a a very reasonable task. And the thing that he did that I did try to emulate was he encouraged his students to see the world differently. Yep. And to me, that was really, really important because to me, that's how growth occurs is that you start to look at things in a way that was different than how you know, you normally would see it. And one of the things that I really loved about him was his focus on humanity. Now he was teaching English, but as a social studies teacher, I always felt like I was really teaching kids about people yeah. and this long history of, of people and, and the things that we love, the emotions that we have, that's part of being people. And I think that that should be included in our conversation about history. And so here's one of the quotes. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. And medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. Hmm. It's so good. It's great. At times, I had a difficulty teaching history. Because it was all that other stuff. Yeah. But I like people. (laughs) So I had to remind myself that this is a conversation about people. And occasionally I look back to, you know, the likes of John Keating and like, all right, here's how we're going to do this. Sure. He is the quintessential English teacher. I mean, there's so much about him. And and any now every now and then when I had a, a student that said, You reminded me of Mr. Keating, like that was that's it, right? Like I was so excited. Here's my issues with Mr. Keating. And I, and I have two. Number one, just emulating him from a movie perspective. He doesn't have great pedagogy. Right. He doesn't actually teach kids how to do stuff. Like even that very famous scene where he has uh, Ethan Hawke do that poem. Like, close your eyes. Don't think. Just say. Don't think. Just say. That's actually really shitty ways to write poetry. 
right? But in a movie where somebody spent a good deal of time coming up with that poem, it looked really, really cool. And so as an English teacher or a human, we can get inspired by that, but it's fake, right? So in some ways I was like, okay, I need to understand that he's actually missing some huge components of literature of how to teach. But here's my my only uh, major critique of Mr. Keating, which every hero has their flaw. Um, I do think in some ways he's responsible for Neil's death, even though he, you know, go talk to your dad. And he has all these moments where he's he's trying to have good conversations and Neil lies to him. So he doesn't really have a full picture of what's really happening. But it comes, if you remember, after Keating has been kicked out and the headmaster is teaching poetry now. And he's trying to figure out where they are. I mean, where are you in this textbook? And Mr. Keating's big thing was get rid of the textbook, right? And one of the kids is like, well, we kind of hopped around a little bit. We spent a lot of time with the romantics. And it's this concept of because Mr. Keating didn't like the realists, because he didn't like these other people, he didn't teach them. And he only hung out with the people that he liked and the people that. And so there was a part of me that's like, that's. That's the component that Neil was missing of another way of, of viewing life that may not be romantic, feel good, that may not be focused on your emotions, go off in the mountains and in the caves and, and do these Lawanda sort of things. You have to also wrestle with people who think radically different and have different perspectives. And the other component of humanity, which is the realists, not just the romantics. That's that's my only issue that I have with Keating. And let's be honest. We have to pay our bills. We have to get actual yep. work done. We can't yep. just live a romantic life. Like that doesn't yeah. accomplish as many things as we might want. I think it takes us to a, a, a an emotional place. It gets us feeling alive, right? Like he says. Well, it's but, what you just said. They're necessary to sustain life. Yeah. Um, one other quote of his, and this is one that I, I thought about a lot because as a social studies teacher, I wanted my students to be great readers. And I think one of the best yeah. ways to be a great reader is to be a selfish reader. And so here's the quote, when you read, don't just consider what the author thinks, consider what you think. Yeah. I like that idea of, of, yeah. of really getting inside yourself as you're reading the words of other people. I like your phrase that you just said, in order to be a good reader, you got to be a selfish reader. I like yeah, that I, said, I said it all the time to my students, be a selfish reader. That's good. I like that a lot. Um, right, who's your next one? Unless you got more on this. No, no. I, I mean, he's fantastic. I, um, I just like maybe, maybe because it's not very popular. I like finding ways to disagree with him. <laughs> sure. Um, but, um, but here's mine. One of my favorite fictional characters is uh, Mr. Holland from Mr. Holland's Opus. And here's what I love about Mr. Holland is he is so relatable to so many, especially teachers who teach in the arts. He's so relatable because if you are a music teacher, an English teacher, an art teacher, um, oftentimes you would love to be an artist, right? You would love to be a musician. But like you just said, you have to pay the bills. And so a lot of them go into teaching because I have to do this for a little bit so that I can afford to. And that's how he starts it, right? He wants to be a composer. But then they they buy a house and they they get pregnant and so he has to go to work and he doesn't love it at first and I think he actually hates it initially but then he finds a way he finds that he's actually good at connecting with kids and he's good at making this seemingly unpopular subject popular and so 
holistically through his lifespan, that's what he does is he always is able to manipulate himself to fit what his audience needs in order to achieve a purpose, which is teaching them music, either how to play it or appreciate it, whatever it might be. He's a fa- he's a fantastic teacher. What I love about that movie is it's also very real in that I don't think education when you go to become a teacher, I don't think we do enough talking about the dangers and the the, the loopholes, or not loopholes, but the temptations of being a teacher. Because when you are a teacher, you are put on a pedestal by students. And so that pedestal opens up doors for temptations. And there's, and I'm not, he has a very specific one with a young, with a young girl. Um, and that can obviously be a part of teaching and education and temptation, but there's just a ton of them, whatever they might be. And so I love that they just let him walk through that. I love that they showed how easy that can happen and innocently it can happen. And then I also love that he handled it the right way and acknowledged it, acknowledged it with his wife and and was able to walk away without scars, without any damage. Um, and so I, I, there, there's just a component of that that I, I, I really appreciate about the movie and about him as a human. And then I just I I understand. I think every educator understands this struggle of like once you start getting really good at education and kids start really understanding you and jiving with you. It's so easy to just dive into it and forget about your family. Right. And he does that, too. That's the other temptation of education. And he has to walk away from that. And and I just love that he is a man of integrity all the way through academic integrity, personal integrity, even though he has pitfalls and even though he has failures he's just always a man of integrity so when the opus comes at the end you can't help but just start bawling because you know the struggles he's went through and the sacrifices he's made and it's a true moment it's not a it's not a fake moment i know it's a fictional movie but it's not a fake moment when i think as as educators when we get to the end when we get to the mount olympus of our of our profession if we didn't do it with integrity all along the way it's hollow he can truly enjoy that moment because he knows he's suffered and he knows he's done it well. To be great at something, including to be a great teacher or be a great principal, it does mean sacrifice. And it's a real struggle to try to be great in the classroom and a great, you know, family man yeah, too. Like husband. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really tough. It's really tough. It's really tough. And so I, I, that's why I love the movie is because they, they show that. They walk through that. Yeah. Um, and he still comes out clean on the other side. Yeah. So, Good Mr. Stuff. Opus. Ready for a little debate now? If it's the right person. I, oh, I it think is. it's got to be. Okay. All right. So, remember the list is favorite fictional teachers. Not necessarily best. And we'll see why. And so, this next one, I'm just going to acknowledge. A lot of what I like about her is related to the emotional connection of me seeing this movie in the theater, of me listening to the soundtrack. I thought the music was great. And so it is uh, the Luann Johnson character, Michelle Pfeiffer from Dangerous Minds. Is this the one you were thinking of? Nope. Oh, okay. You're good. Oh, I'm, I, I, I want to know who your other is. Well, because this is a problematic character. And so the movie came out early to mid-90s. And I I liked it a lot. And at the time, I did not think I was going to be a teacher. But when I went into education a little bit later, I found myself like rewatching this movie and Mm -hmm. thinking about it a little bit. 
And here's why it is problematic because Michelle Pfeiffer, so the Luann Johnson lady, she's a white lady. She's teaching in an inner city school. It's a very diverse population. It it does some things that are problematic, like the concept of the great white hope who will show sure. up and save all the minorities. I sure. think that's problematic. I think that's a story that's told too much. I think the movie bases itself a little too much on stereotypes. Sure. I think that's problematic. That was also very 80s, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, the, it's a 90s movie. It's an early 90s. But yes, that concept, all of that that you're talking about, absolutely. Because there are quite a few pretty good classrooms. Because they did it with like Karate Kid. Like they loved the stereotypes. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Which actually Mr. Miyagi was, I thought Ooh. about him for a second as as a great fictional teacher. Okay. I, I didn't go that route. Okay, okay. Yeah. But, but um, also very stereotypical. Like that's yep. what we did in cinema often. Yeah. And this might be just if there are any young teachers out there listening at 22, I, I did that thing in my head where I thought I would be that where I'd go into the inner city or I'd go to native American reservation or, you know, whatever. But like, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a healthy thing. Like go where the world takes you and and don't, don't not take opportunities. Sure. But if your mindset is one of, uh, you know, let me go save these people. Yeah, that's not it. Don't do that. Don't. And I'm saying that as someone who thought that way for a period of time, I know better now. And so that's my real problem with that movie and and that character. But like I said, part of what I'm doing here is these are fictional teachers that I tried to take something from. And I, I don't know if anybody believed more in her students than Luann Johnson did. You know, one of the the quotes from the, the movie is sometimes it, it takes a lot of wrong answers to get the right one. Right. And so she, she understands the, the need for persistence. She understands the need to build up people who have felt failure time and time again. She's incredibly empathetic towards these kids. She meets them where they're at. Now it goes astray a few times. And actually this is a, a good connection to Mr. Keating as teachers, another word of advice, maybe to younger teachers, we don't get to diagnose people. We don't get to presume that we can be a, a parent to them. That Because there may be things that we don't know. And if we approach it the wrong way, if we become too attached to it, that kid might break in a way that we can't fix. Yeah. And that happens in both, you know, in in uh, Dead Poet Society, and it happens in Dangerous Minds. And we we have to be careful as teachers about that. Yeah, we um, are not Superman, Superwoman to all people. Nope, nope. And <clears throat> I, I think I, that that's on the list of mistakes I made early in my teaching career. I remember this kid, and I had a great relationship with him. I'm not sure if I've told this story before, but he was a kid that was growing up in a house where dad was dealing drugs and was put in prison. And I, man, I'm, I'm having a great time with this kid. The kids participate in class. I think I've got it all figured out. And then I had a sub one day and that kid stole all my shit, sold it. Everybody saw it. Nothing happened to this kid. And I just had to have that kid in my class the rest of the year. And it's like, okay, I guess you don't reach everybody. It was a tough lesson to learn, but, uh, I will say it must've been pretty tough because you just, uh, unprompted cursed. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sucker is deep. Oh, it it was. It it was a. It was one of the most difficult lessons I learned as a teacher. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Uh, Was even when you think you've made this this extreme connection, it it 
you, you might be wrong. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the lesson there is, uh, and you can use Mr. Opus, you can use Mr. Keating, um, you can use Dangerous Minds, which does have one of the most greatest soundtracks. It does. Oh, yeah. Be cautious, right? Like, I think part of what great teachers do is they do believe they can reach every kid. They do believe they can save every kid, which don't ever lose that. But but always be cautious. Be cautious of your own self and your own shortcomings. Uh, and be cautious of, like... Sometimes there's just some really deep pools that you can't jump in and you can't survive in by yourself. You have to bring in a counselor or, or more seasoned or or educated somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. Let me let me talk quickly then about a couple of the things that I tried to take from Luann Johnson from Dangerous Minds. Sure. One of the quotes, she says, you can either choose to leave here and not graduate or you can stay and put up with me. It may not be a choice you like, but you do have a choice. Hmm. This concept, and she even in the movie talks <laughs> about like the the kids are like, well, we get bust here. Do you even know what that's like? And of course, she can't know what that's like. Sure. Uh, but she talks about like, but but you chose to get on that bus. Like yeah. you, you willfully stepped up those steps. And that was something I said to my students all the time because they, if I could sense that they were frustrated with school and frustrated being there, we talked a lot about, listen, you had some choices here and you decided yeah. that this place was better than whatever the other choice was. Yeah. And it was, it made for pretty good conversation. Uh, I had uh uh, kind of a, a talk that I gave most years, usually in March when we were feeling a little down and it was meant to pump kids up. And it was a little bit about choice and it was inspired a lot by this movie. And so that concept of yeah. you can choose like kids turn in an assignment. Oh, you made me turn that in. No, no, no. You, you, you chose to, you, you could have not yeah. done that. Right. So yeah doing the right thing like that's still a choice you might feel yeah. pressure to do the right thing but you're still making that choice yeah and that concept was one that that we addressed a lot in my class because kids feel powerless yeah even if they're like no if i don't if i don't come i'm gonna get in trouble or the cops are gonna show up okay so you're saying yeah. this is better than that so you're yeah. still making a choice yeah um yeah i think there's some power in that at times of just reminding kids at any given time you have a choice and you chose to come here. So if you chose to come here, let's get some work done. <laughs> yeah. No, and it, it is tough because teenagers, they they feel extremely powerless. And yeah. so to help them see the ways that they are strong and powerful and that they are making choices, I think is is pretty helpful. There's another line that she she said. She said, there are no victims in this classroom. Yeah. And I mean, if, if everybody's been listening to this thing, you know, that's my pet peeve is people who feel yeah. like they're being victimized and honest to goodness, the people in her classroom, they were victims. Yeah. They have more of a right to claim that than most people, but we can't live that life. Like you can't just say I'm a victim because nothing will get done. Uh, you've yeah. got to find a way to be strong and powerful and to not be a victim. We all need to do that. Yeah. No, I agree. That's good. Well, let me, that, can I just segue into, because you thought this was my, my big pet peeve teacher, um, fictional teacher. Mine's actually not even a fictional teacher. They've just glorified her on, in the sc movie screen and it, and it bothers the heck out of me. But it's Aaron Gruwell from Freedom Writers. Oh, okay. Who is, is kind of a dangerous mind sort of, right? They kind of recreated it a little bit, very similar storylines, very similar, uh, you know, I'm going to, come in and change these inner city kids and there's some goodness in what she does like one of the powerful scenes that i 
have often reminded myself of or just kind of thought of recently is when she's kind of having her eureka moments of like okay this is a, this is a class i'm dealing with this is the struggles that they have and if you remember she puts a, a piece of tape down the center of the classroom and she kind of divides them i think she divides them either by like where they live in the neighborhood or maybe even by race i can't remember exactly but then she says something like if you have ever lost a loved one step to the line and so it's this very powerful moment where people who were radically against each other and had animosity in her classroom have to walk up and look at somebody inches away and realizing we have similar experiences, right? And she asks many questions like that. And it's a pretty powerful moment of building empathy or building this kind of perspective of like, just because you come from a different side of town or just because you have a different uh, background or, or, or whatever it might be, we have a lot of similarities. And sometimes that similarity is just pain and suffering. Here's my issue with her or at least with the, the the way the movie is portrays her, is number one, um, they only ever focus on one class. Did she not teach other classes? Like, what is she doing in these other classes? All right, this is the one that she's going to get a, a book written about and a movie made about her. What is she doing in the other classes that she is able to impact this one so much? So that's a little bit of a, of a minor, like, frustration. But I guess the bigger one, and this goes back to Mr. Holland's opus and why I think Mr. Holland was great, is they make her husband out to be a villain and a bad guy. And they end up getting uh, a divorce, which is fine. I, I know a lot of great people who have gone through divorces for all the right reasons. It just bothers me, though, that they make him a villain in it. Because all he wants is his wife. Right? He wants her to come home at a decent time every now and then. He wants her to, when she's home, be with him, have dinner with him. Right? And I just get irritated by that and just just because i feel like they're they're glorifying a woman who i don't think is living a healthy lifestyle which is why she didn't stay there very long she yeah. didn't teach in that school more than a handful of years and then she left and a part of me wants to say yeah because she was unhealthy she didn't care for her family she didn't care for herself and it's very like i don't know like superheroes to say like do whatever it takes for every kid that's not healthy because sometimes what what it takes is for you to go home and put the books away, sit on the couch. There's my dog, too, by the way. Uh, and sit on the couch with your husband, with your spouse, with your wife, with your kids. And and and, and love them because you're also responsible for them. You know what I mean? This is a very Owen Golden Pond episode here with all the uh, nature sounds and things like that going on. <laughs> yeah. Dogs and birds and everything. Uh, hold on one second. Let me, let me pause. Sorry. Okay. No, this feels like a perfect episode with you. Like you're outside in nature, enjoying life. This is very much what you are. I'm in a luxurious <laughs> hotel, so <laughs> not really. I'm just in my office, but still. All right. Um, yeah. So no, are, you okay, I, are you okay with me kind of downing her a little bit? You know, I think, and, and maybe this is something you and I should try to figure out how to have a conversation about eventually, which is that healthy balance, um, how to give teachers permission to turn off the teaching part. You know, we encouraged that with our soundtrack episode last week because it is tough. It's tough to lean hard into something that you're passionate about and then be able to walk away and, and do the other things that life needs you to do. So, yeah. You got one more then? I do. Do you? Oh, no, I'm, I'm out. Next. That's I'm it. next. Yeah, 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 you're next. Uh, okay, so my next one is, fortunately for me, it's 
a literature and a movie fictional character, but it is Atticus Finch. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I freaking love Atticus Finch and I loved teaching to kill a mockingbird. Um, and my son, just sadly, he came home the other day, uh, this school year and, and they're listening to the audio in class and doing worksheets. And he's like, it's okay. And I'm like, man, if you can't get kids excited about Atticus Finch and to kill a mockingbird, I don't know what we're doing here. Um, but he just is fantastic. And so some of the quotes that I have, um, about him that I, I just really, really appreciate. Um, if you don't mind, um, I want to actually read. So I wrote a while ago, if you remember, um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell did a podcast a while ago where he kind of is going after Atticus Finch and saying that he's actually not a good guy. And he kind of pulls like this obscure quote out of a court scene and then builds this whole case around it. And I was so enraged by it <laughs> that uh, I wrote a blog post called uh, Malcolm Gladwell owes Atticus Finch an apology. <laughs> I may have missed um, that one because I think I would have loved it. I, I have some problems with Mac- Malcolm Gladwell myself. So let's hear this. Okay. I'm excited. Well, so I, and I just kind of wrote, I think, seven or eight reasons why Atticus Finch is a, is a man of intense character. And so I just want to read a couple of the, of the arguments that I had. And so number three in my argument is he is uh, courageous or he understands what courage is. And so I'm going to read this. In chapter 11, Jem, his son, has to read to Mrs. Dubois, if you remember her, she's the neighbor who's really, really cranky, mm-hmm. uh, for ruining her flowers. It isn't until the end of the chapter that Scout and Jem discover why them reading to her was so important to Atticus. Mrs. Dubois was addicted to painkillers. She was also ready to die. But before she did, she made sure she was able to, quote, leave this world beholden to nothing and nobody, end quote. Jem's reading was her way of weaning herself off the painkillers courageously. You know, Atticus says to Jem, she was a great lady. A great lady, Jem raised his head. His face was scarlet. After all those things she said about you, a lady, right? She was very unkind to Atticus. This is Atticus's response. She was. She had her own views about things a lot different from mine, maybe, but still a lady. And I wanted you to see what real courage is. Instead of getting the idea that courage is a man with a gun in his hand, courage isn't carrying around borrowed power. It's when you know you're licked before you begin, but you begin anyway, and you see it through no matter what. You rarely win, but sometimes you do. Mrs. Dubois won all 98 pounds of her. She was the bravest person I ever knew. And I just love, like, you talk about teaching. What a life lesson that he gave Jem of he had to go and read to this cranky old woman who he never really found respect for. But Jem was able to have this very tangible lesson of what strength and courage was. And I just don't know if there's a better way to teach than that. And But I also love how in that society, in that time when they were really struggling, Atticus is able, he wants to teach his son. It's not about borrowing power and it's not about walking around with this facade of strength and whatever. It's it's this internal power to overcome the struggles of yourself, to overcome your own weaknesses. And she was determined to do that before she died. And I just, I love that. You had a response to that before I have one more quote? Well, uh, we missed Father's Day to do a Father's Day episode, but maybe let's do one next year. We'll still be at okay. it, right? 
uh, because I almost picked Bandit from the Bluey cartoon as one of my favorite fictional teachers. But I'm like, ah, I don't know. And it is, uh, you can tell you're much more cultured than me, clearly, because I was choosing. But have you watched Bluey with your kids at all? Oh, it's, no. an, it's a great show. And, okay. and Bandit from that show, I think that's the father's name, is so incredible. He's so good. So you bring up Atticus Finch as a, a teacher and a father, I think, I, I think there's something to that. I hope that yeah. I'm teaching my children things. I hope I serve as a teacher to them. So I think yeah. it's a great concept. So here's my last one. And I just, I, I love it. this. This line has always stuck out to me whenever I taught it. Mr. Gladwell, as you get to this episode and listening, please pay attention. I've said he's, he's reliable. And so this is the, the quote from, from the book. This is, if you remember, it's like all the, the town women are kind of gathering in this living room and they're just kind of talking. And Atticus is becoming the talk of the town because he's defending Jim. And, and everyone kind of knows he's guilty and everyone knows. And if nothing else, it's just all racial, right? Or they think he's guilty. And so a woman is talking about Atticus and she says this. There are men in this world who are born to do our unpleasant jobs. Atticus is one of them. I always thought Maycomb folks were the best folks in the world. At least that's what they seemed like, Jem responds, knowing full well his father is a great man, but suffering under the weight of disappointment. We're the safest folks in the world, Miss Maudie responds. We're so, this is my line that I just love. We're so rarely called on to be Christians, but when we are, we've got men like Atticus to go for us. And I just love that quote because it's like a conviction of my own. We're so rarely called on to be men and women of deep integrity. We're so rarely called on for us to be men and women who stand up for what is good and right and true. But when we are, I want people to look to me like they did to Atticus. Right? We're so rarely called on to be good quality men and women of, of education. But when we are, we got guys like shirts and ties that stand up and do it for us. Like that's, it's just, it was a deep conviction in my heart, which honestly allowed me to make some pretty harsh decisions and difficult decisions later on. Because I thought to myself, if I want to be an Atticus Finch, you might have to suffer like Atticus Finch when you stand up for what's good and right and true. So anyways, he's a, he's a, he's a bad dude. Yeah. Man, you really hijacked this episode. You made it all about you. You're just picking real people. You're you're picking novels that you taught. Sheesh. I'm, I'm glad I came to go light. I'm glad I came underprepared today because you uh you're you talking about load. blue. No, you gotta watch blue with your kids. It's so okay. good, man. Okay. It's so good. Uh we don't watch uh TV at our household. We I read know. Atticus Finch and no. Yeah. <laughs> Three-year-old running around with to kill a mockingbird. So hey, that was fun. I I think that you was did the, the bad bosses episode too. That's I enjoy this. This is fun. Yeah. I have really good topics. I mean yours are fine. <laughs> <laughs> but you, yeah, don't you have did... birds in your backdrop, so there. Oh god. I hope people listen to this. They'll be like chirping away. <laughs> are they that audible? They're that I can't hear anything other than birds. <laughs> Hey, do we have takeaways? Are we doing takeaways this time? Um, I think uh, I think sometimes here's just my takeaway. This is maybe I think we watch fictional characters and we can get inspired by them. The Mr. Keatings, the Mr. Holland's Opus, uh, the Atticus Finches. 
and and we can be inspired by them and we should because there's components of them that that scratch what we want to be in in life but it's incredibly unfair for us to hold ourselves to that standard because they are so one-dimensional they're so like we're seeing a sliver of their life and it's fictional right it's 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 made up i think so maybe every now and then i just try and give myself a pass of like no you're not going to be a mr keating because he's fictional and that's okay i don't know maybe that's a a simple uh shallow takeaway but guys like go ahead i was just gonna ask is there a a show or a movie or a book that tells a more complete story about teaching that actually shows you how often failure is occurring rather than just the inspirational parts? No. I mean, I don't, somebody might have an idea, let us know, but I've always felt that way when I've been inspired by a a show about a teacher or about schools is like, yeah, but, but what about the other stuff? Because yeah. that can't be the whole story. Yeah. The only other like book that I can kind of think of, there's there's a book, Teacher Man, where he kind of glosses, or not glosses, he kind of walks through some of the difficulties of life. But even still, like when it's when it's told from a personal narrative, we get to we get to decide how it's heard, right? Um but there just isn't, and I don't know if you could. Yeah, it might it might be a a tough story to follow just following failure. I mean, cause teaching feels like failure a lot, right? I think that's unfair, yeah. but uh, I don't know if anybody it, wants to watch that movie. Yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a good point. It feels like failure a lot. There's that's a good point, yeah. but all right. My takeaway. Great. Yep. What's your takeaway? Yeah. I, I like that phrase borrowed power. Uh, I think that there are lots of ways that people exert a borrowed power on others, yeah. power that isn't internal. Uh, and I think borrowed power is often used to hurt or diminish other people, whether that power is borrowed by a title that you have or from a yeah. gun you're carrying or whatever it is. But that I think that's a great phrase to describe some of what we see today where people are borrowing power and acting as if it is their own. Yeah. For the purpose of, again, anti-Atticus, personal glory right oftentimes we borrow power because we want to do something we want something real power comes from natural integrity character um, and we use it like mr rogers said to help others that's real power yeah hey this was a good time hey should we let people know we're going to take a little break here well i think we are i think we have don't you have another episode to edit yeah, but this will be this will be the last one that comes this out. Is the last one in okay. June, and then we're gonna take July off, right? Yeah, we are July. We, everyone needs a break. Uh, keep preaching to my teachers. I'm sure you keep teaching or preaching to your teachers. Uh, let's take a break. Let's take a break. Well, I think we need one too. So month of July, shirts and ties is out. Yeah, get a little break. You guys will be hankering for some shirts and ties come August. I love that word. That was good. That was really good. Uh, So maybe that's our our re-entry episode. What are you hankering for? I regret having said that word. I don't even know why I said it. When have I ever said it? I'm using it. It's my next episode. What are you hankering for? All right. All right, brother. Well, enjoy your month of July. Take some time to refresh. Be renewed. I look forward to chatting with you come August. All right. All right. Until August, my friends. 
do great things. And keep knocking. See you, buddy. See ya.